Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Thank you for coming. We'll continue to read and provide some discourse on the Bhagavat <clears throat> Sandarva of Srila Jiva Goswami. We're at the 87th Anucheda. And we've kind of read the Anucheda. I wanted to go over a little bit more of the commentary there. Just to remind ourselves, uh, primarily the Anucheda, the Praman of the Anucheda. We'll just read it. In this way, the Supreme Lord Bhagavan is the complete absolute truth, the Kandatattva. For some practitioners who are ineligible to realize him fully, he manifests in a generic way. And that incomplete vision is called Brahman. Sri Kapila Dave clearly explains this in two verses. This is from the third canto. Both the Jnana, Jnana Yoga, that is free from the Gunas, and the Yoga that is focused on me and characterized by devotion, have one aim, which is indic indicated by the word Bhagavan. A single object is appreciated differently by the different senses due to its having many qualities. Similarly, the one Bhagavan appears variously according to the different paths found in the scriptures. The commentary of Sridhar Swami. The, the purpose of this verse is to show that Bhagavan alone is the entity be to be attained by Gyan Yoga just as he alone is the entity to be attained by bhakti-yoga. Gyan-yoga, which is free from the gunas, and the yoga that is characterized by devotion unto me, both have the same aim, the same ultimate end. What is that end? That which is expressed by the word Bhagavan. This is stated in Bhagavad Gita, 12th chapter, engaged in the welfare of all beings, the followers of the Gyan path attain only me. Jiva Goswami makes his own objection. But from scriptures, we learn that the result of Gyan Yoga is attainment of the self, Atma Labha, whereas that of Bhakti Yoga is attainment of Isvara who is meant to be worshipped. So how can both be said to have the same goal? Anticipating this doubt, Sri Kapila offers the following example. Though milk is one substance, it is a repository of many qualities such as form and taste, and thus appears differently when perceived by the different senses. For example, to the eyes it appears white, to the tongue it appears sweet, and to the touch cool. In the same way, Bhagavan is one, yet is experienced differently in accordance with the viewing capacity. Here ends Sridhar Swami's comments. Here, then Jiva continues, here Bhagavan is singled out as the complete manifestation, inclusive of all parts. Therefore, in this example, Bhakti Yoga is compared to the mind in its capacity to fully ascertain an object through analysis and integration of each of its parts. So we covered the majority of the commentary on this Anucheda. 
the main point being that from the spiritual perspective, from the transcendentalist perspective, uh, although they may see the ultimate conception of the absolute truth differently, there is no difference. Um, it is only a matter, just as the core verse again states, according to the mode of worship. Vedanti tat tattva vidas tattvam yajjanamadvayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti sabjate. The absolute truth is the same for the jnana yogi and the yogi who is practicing bhakti. It's the same absolute truth. It's just perceived differently. And the analogy being used here is according to the capacity and different uh, different senses have different capacities just as different transcend, transcendentalists have different abilities. So with different senses we can we can attain different objects, uh, but they're the same object, ultimately. Milk is the same object, but the eyes perceive its whiteness, and the, uh, the touch perceives its coolness, and the taste perceives its sweetness. But the mind, all of those senses, ultimately, the experience is filtered through the mind and therefore the self comes up with a, a sense of what an object is. So here the analogy is given that the bhakti yogi, he's the mind. He can put the pieces together. Other transcendentalists may not have a, as, as a complete vision as, as the bhakti yogi. Just as one sense can only perceive the object, its object, whereas the mind can put together all the different objects and say, ah, oh, yes, it is white, it is cool, it is sweet, it is all those things. The eye's just going to say, it's white. <laughs> using milk as an analogy. Some other, other things that are brought out in the commentary. In the Bhagavad Gita, in the 12th chapter, Krishna says that those that worship his unmanifest feature, indescribable, impersonal feature, they also attain him. That's because from Krishna's viewpoint, there's no difference between himself and and the effulgence, which is sometimes used as, as uh, you know, um, Brahman is sometimes referred to as the effulgence of the Supreme. Um, but they're not different to Krishna. He's, this is my body and this is my, you know, some people can only see the effulgence. But all the all the all the different explanations that are attributed to Brahman can be reconciled when we 
put the source of Brahman first. The mind can reconcile it. Otherwise, we can see there can be some difficulty in reconciliation of the, even the concept of Brahman, having no qualities. So we see that specifically when there's some misdirection added. So we have a whole apasampradaya and sankaracharya based on misinterpretation of the Veda because you can so easily get the wrong conception of Brahman when you take Krishna out of the picture. So Shiva did an excellent job. He was able to pro provide us, provide provide a, a stop, a, a gap, um, uh, what do you want to say it? Like a crossover measure. We had, we had primarily uh, misuse of the Veda, where people were simply using sacrifices to attain material ends, but weren't looking to what the source of those material ends were. It was simply, well, they were cutting off the head of the chicken. They only wanted to, what was coming out of the back head. So they didn't really want to know about Krishna. They didn't really want to learn what's, why is this sacrifice working? What's behind it that makes it work? No, perform the sacrifice and get the result. So to such a degree that spiritual authority said, well, we need to wipe the slate clean here because we can't, it, it's only one way to correct it. Sometimes you just have to, uh, you know, take out the eraser and, and clear everything off the board because the equation has got so, you know, discombobulated that there, we have to start over. So <laughs> that's what happened. And, uh, and we have what's referred to as an incarnation of God saying there is no God. <laughs> so here's God coming as himself saying, I don't exist. <laughs> and all everything that I've spoken for the benefit of humanity is of no real value. Don't put any value in it because you don't really value it. It really does have value, but you've, you've missed the point. But to the extreme. So Buddha preached extreme uh, sunyavad, no qualities. Ultimately, just attainment of a state of nirvana completely devoid of anything. It's almost Brahman. Well, we need to get it back to Brahman and we need to get the Vedas back in there because what I say does have value. I didn't go to all the trouble <laughs> of speaking the Veda or having Brahma speak it on my behalf, giving it to, his, to and through his heart. You know, I didn't, we need to get it back on track.
But as we know, except now, at this point, the culture seems to be changing at a million miles an hour. But generally, the culture of man changes slowly and their, their understanding of things is, 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 is a little bit more... Uh, though they use their brains a little bit, so they generally have firmer convictions than we see today. Here we see now convictions and, and the culture is... It seems like it just changes overnight. What was not accepted yesterday is now... It's okay, you can do that. Most of the time, not for the better. But we have fast technology. <laughs> so therefore, we have Sankaracharya coming and get it pointed back towards the Vedas. The Vedas are all right. Because really they say the same thing that Buddha said. It's not really a big difference there. So let's look at the Vedas. And here I'll show you where there's not a big difference. But in order to show you there's not a big difference, I can't really tell you what the Vedas really say. I have to give you another interpretation of the Vedas. But at least it's Vedic. Well, it's not really Vedic. It's a misrepresentation of Veda. But... At least you're thinking it's Veda, and I'm giving you my version of the Veda, and it's 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 okay. And now we have Jiva Goswami, and we wonder why he's pounding this post again and again and again, because it's time to get rid of any anything that's left of the misconceptions that Sankaracharya introduced in order to steer the transcendental section of society towards the right direction. And now, let's get the proper conception of what Brahman is. And now we're at that point in Jiva Goswami's Sandarbhas. He's now... He's now molding his students' minds to where they can understand this is the proper conception of Brahman. But if you really want to understand Brahman, you've got to understand Brahman in relationship to Bhagavan. Then you can have the full picture. Now here in this, he's pointing out this is a partial picture. So it's, it's, an, it's an ideal thing that he's doing for the transcendental community if they would simply take the time to study his sandarbhas they'll understand perfectly what Brahman is and their hearts maybe and should be softened enough to understand really maybe this Bhagavan's conception is something I should take a more serious look at so if they if they He's the greatest logician. If they just take the time, then what a service he's done to humanity by offering his Sundarbas. And what a service he's done to that class of transcendentalists who are inclined towards the Brahman conceptions, the jnanis and the yogis. 
who are unfortunately spiritually in a worse off condition than the karma yogi. The, the karma yogi can easily be pulled into the Bhagavan conception. The jnani yogi, he has, he thinks too much. I think you think too much. A few quotes here to fortify the situation a little. We always need to fortify it. Krishna, I'm sorry, Brahma addresses Krishna as the complete Brahman. Oh, what is this verse? Very popular verse from the uh, 14th chapter of the 10th canto. Bhagyam, what is it? Aho Bhagyam? Aho Bhagyam. How fortunate, how fortunate are the residents of Nanda's cowherd community. For their friend is the supreme bliss, the eternal, and the complete Brahman. Then while glorifying Krishna, Mother Devaki says, and this is from the third chapter of the tenth canto, the Vedas say that this form is the unmanifest, the original, the effulgence of Brahman, Brahmajyoti, beyond the material qualities and without transformation. It is pure existence without attributes and without action. Verily, it is you, Vishnu himself, the flame of spiritual truth. These verses clearly describe Krishna as the complete indivisible Brahman. Therefore, Krishna himself says in the Bhagavad Gita, Brahmanohi Pratistaham. I'm the foundation of this Brahman. Interesting point here. Moreover, the qualities of Brahman, such as Gyan, Ananda, and Satya, these qualities Brahman does have. It does exist. It's always exist. And there's some pleasure to be had in not having misery. Yeah. Cannot exist by themselves without a substratum. As logic states that qualities must reside in a substance. So Brahman is the basis. It's the, it's the substratum being referred to here. It's an interesting way to look at it. Bhakti is the queen who can reveal the emperor, who can reveal all his secrets. So the Lord says, this is from the 11th canto, whatever may be attained by performing karma, penances, gyan, renunciation, yoga, charity, pilgrimage, vows, and so forth is easily attained by my devotee simply by engagement in bhakti-yoga to me. Although my devotee does not desire anything except me, if at any time he should somehow desire heaven, liberation, or residence in my abode, he can very easily attain them. And Sukadeva also arrives at the same conclusion. All people of refined discrimination should worship the Supreme Person through fervent devotion whether they are unalloyed devotees without any personal desire, whether filled with all desire, or whether seeking liberation. 
karma sarva karma va moksa karma udara di. Therefore, see Jiva Goswami compares bhakti to the mind, the king of the senses. Going on to the 88th Anacheda. Brahman is part of Bhagavan. Jiva Goswami writes, Therefore, Lord Sankarshan told Chitraketu that Brahman is but a fraction of Bhagavan. From the sixth canto, I expand as all living beings. I am the eminent self-dwelling in all beings, and I am the cause of all living beings. Both Subda Brahman and Param Brahman are my eternal forms. Commentary by Sridhar Swami Lord Sankarshan told Chitraketu, Verily I am all living beings. Verily, I am also the eminent self dwelling in all beings, which is to say that I am the enjoyer of all every living being. This implies that the cosmos, which is founded on the mutual coexistence of enjoyer and enjoyed, is not something distinct from me. This is so because I am the cause of all living beings, Bhuta Bhavana, or in other words, their illuminator and source. Well, objection here. Is not Subda Brahman, the illuminator, and Param Brahman, both illuminator and cause? The Lord answers, That's true, but both are my forms, as stated in the line beginning with Subda Brahma. Sasvati, singular form, means both are eternal. Sasvat. Yao, the dual form. Here ends Sridhar Swami's comments. Again, Sanskrit being used to bring out, they're, they're bringing out a deeper meaning by looking at the Sanskrit terms themselves. In this verse, it is concluded that Param Brahman is also a fractional portion of Bhagavan because it has been described along with Subda Brahman, which is also a fraction. If we go back to the analogy of milk and the senses, one may only have knowledge of milk's color. So his knowledge of milk is we would call from the mind's perspective who knows color, form, taste, smell an incomplete comprehension. Similarly, Brahman being an incomplete manifestation of Bhagavan is sometimes referred to as his part and sometimes referred to as the absolute itself. So is it a part or is it the whole? Well, we subscribe to the philosophy of Achinta, Beta, Beta, Tattva. But it's also more a part than it is a whole, the whole. From the Vaishnav viewpoint, the Vaishnavs were never going to accept the Brahman conception 
when compared to the Bhagavan conception as equivalent in any way. I mean, look at what Rupa Goswami says in his Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, that the Brahman conception, all that it entails could be contained in the hoof print of a calf compared to an ocean of Bhakti Ras. There's no comparison between the two. Millions and millions, billions of times more to be experienced in the personal relationship with Bhagavan in loving exchange than, than, than in Brahman. In fact, Brahman realization is going to take away from your experience. Of course, the jnani will say, well, you want to get rid of those experiences. He'd much rather live without any experience, thinking every experience is painful. So, that's his conclusion. No, no, there is nothing good to be had from experience. That's truly the jnani's conclusion. Nothing good to be had from an experience. So let us take all experience away. Now, that's an interesting perspective. And it's a perspective that comes from looking at the world and not, you're looking at your experiences of the world and not seeing any good there. But, the devotee can see good in the world. He doesn't look at the world and not see good. Krishna gives explanation of where he is in the world and where we can see him in the world in his discourse with Arjuna on the battlefield. I'm the light of the sun and the moon. I mean, it goes on and on. He says, you can see me here and there and everywhere. If you have the right vision. So it's an interesting perspective to, to have, to, to see that Krishna himself is, he's not encouraging material existence, but he's, but he's encouraging knowledge of what is material existence. And if you look to the core of the, of the goal, the sajya, we have a sadhana, a practice, and we have a goal of the practice. And the goal of the practice, if it's if if we engage in bhakti in the proper way under good guidance, the good guidance tells us that ultimately the goal is nothing outside of what is experienced perfectly in the practice. Sadhana Siddhabhumi. The sadhana, you know, if, if the associates of Lord Chaitanya experienced the highest transcendental enjoyment in the material world, on the material plane, they're the perfect devotees, but they experienced everything here to its fullest extent spiritually. It's hard, I understand this, because I 
my mind goes through it. I just wish this would end. Adjective, adjective. <laughs> would end, you know? But the devotee really gets beyond that at a certain point after, you know, sadhana bhakti. We are told by authorities that we're going to get to a point where it's going to be all relishable, that the, the kleshas will get out of the way, that everything, everything in our existence will become auspicious. And we can see, we can look to the, you know, to the pure devotees and we can see it's all auspicious. Oh, but there was a heart attack. Oh, but there was this or that. You know, so that was inauspicious. We can't look at it like that. It wasn't really like that. It's all the experience of Krishna's pure devotees. Of course, they're giving us an example. They're also, apparently, they're, they're lying on the deathbed saying, don't think this won't happen to you. <laughs> we know that it's going to happen to us. But in that way, they're they're doing the instructional part of their of their guruship, so to speak. But their existence, the existence of the associates of Sri Chaitanya, the you know the existence and the and the and the true experience. If we're to believe in bhakti, we will come to the point of understanding that there is no suffering. For Krishna's pure devotee, there's a semblance of suffering put forward at times, at circumstances. There's a beating or a caning in the marketplace. But who felt the cane? Who actually felt it? Yes. Who actually had the marks? Yeah, so it's just something to keep in mind that there's nothing outside of what we're doing now which will not be the perfection of what we're doing now. So as I said, I understand it's it's hard to not think najanam najanam nasundurim kavitram vajagat. You know, it's hard to think of not wanting liberation, you know, because of the suffering of material existence. But it's just a stage at this point of, of the diminishing of material suffering that the, that the Vaishnava is going through. There will come a day when there is no suffering and it's not it doesn't really have anything to do with changing the body. If we're to truly look at the philosophy. But then on the other hand, <laughs> again, on the other hand, we hear from Brihat Bhagavatamrita of the residence of Vaikuntha uh, coming down to assist the devotees 
who are leaving their bodies. So, I guess it swings both ways a little bit. It actually speaks there of the residents, Gopa Kumaras, like, who are these people? And, and Shiva's instruct, or is it Ganesh? I think Ganesh is instructed with these are these are the residents of Vaikuntha, and they're they're coming down. They're on, and they they all are dressed differently. They have they're displaying different opulences, and the and the extent to which they display their opulence, their spiritual opulence, is based on the size of the universe that they're going to. So if they're going to a big universe where there's a Brahma, this is Ganesh telling him this, if they're going to a universe where the Brahma has a hundred heads, a thousand heads, a million heads, it's a bigger universe. And according to the number of heads, that's how you could determine the, 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 the diameter of that particular universe. So some of these universes are very large. We realize you've come from this universe where there's Brahma only has four heads, but that's a little, little small, teeny universe. So they're displaying different levels of opulence, but he does mention there, and they're coming to assist the devotees who are leaving their bodies. So we'd assume they're coming to assist those that are leaving all their bodies, not just their physical, but both gross and subtle. In other words, they're going there to give them a ride home. Subda, Subda Brahman is mentioned in the verse quoted. Only Knowledge is only of two types of knowledge which are worth investigating. Subda Brahman, transcendent sound, and Param Brahman. And after truly understanding Subda Brahman, one attains Param Brahman. So the analogies kind of there between Param Brahman and Subda Brahman also being energies of the Supreme. You might have said it, but I, I totally missed it. What's the relationship between Shabda Brahman, Param Brahman, and Brahman? Like, are they related? The point being brought out here is there energies of the Supreme, different manifestations. Are they, are they in the realm of Brahman? Since they're Shabda Brahman and Param Brahman? Well, no, I don't. I, I mean, they're all Brahman. They're all, they're all part of the Lord's energies. If we look at Brahman, it's an energy of the Lord. But more of a quality also might be a better way because... You can't separate them. You can't you can't look at the sun light as being separate from the sun, but you can't have the sunlight without the sun. So they're they're separate, but they're also of the same nature. So are they quote unquote coming from Brahman? Without coming from it? <laughs> Again, we're looking at a 
a way of looking at things that may be tinged by Material. our conditioning. We're, we like to look at the source as separate from what's the source and the, the source of the energy and the energy being separate. Mm -hmm. But in the spiritual, is there really a, a difference between Krishna's holy name and Krishna? No, that's not our philosophy. So Subta Brahman, which is explaining Krishna or is the sound vibration of Krishna, the Leela of Krishna, we're hearing it, but it's really Krishna. It's manifest according to our ability. If we look to really the the deep qualities of Subdhabrahman are such though for the the experience of the transcendentalist, the fully realized transcendentalist, would we say that the hearing of the Leela and the engagement of the Leela is a different experience for them? Well, I guess you could say there are some nuances, but they're still rolling on the ground in ecstasy, you know, just hearing the pastimes. The tears are flowing from their eyes. The Bhagavatam pages are being washed away. That's because their bhakti is putting it all together. They have the, the, full... the bhakti, yes, acting like the mind is, is putting it all together and therefore they are seeing Krishna. Can you say they're not seeing Krishna when they're hearing the Leela? What are they, you know? But they're not, are they or aren't they? It's, it's on the transcendental plane. And again, we like to, with our, from our perspective and from our, uh, the impressions that we've had stored up, we like to say, well, there's the source of the energy and then there's the energy. But when we come into Krishna Swarup Shakti, There's some little difference, but it's 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 all very transcendental. So I think I'm trying to answer your question. Yeah, I don't know if I am. Shabda Brahma and Satyamarani explains that Shabda Brahma, Shabda Brahma and Param Brahma come from Bhagavan. They're aspects of Bhagavan. Right, and that's the point being made regarding uh, two types. Uh, uh, this is from the Brahma Bindu Upanishad. Two types of knowledge are worthy of investigation, Subda Brahman and Param Brahman. After thoroughly imbibing the truth of Subda Brahman, one attains Param Brahman. Because both Subda and Brahman have no form, here Tanu would mean that both extend as energies of the Lord and therefore... Both are parts of the energetic Supreme Lord Bhagavan. Uh, and the point I'm trying to make to you is, but how, can, how, much, how do we separate the energy, energetic source and the energy? There is definitely a difference. Mm -hmm. The experiential part of it from the Vaishnav's viewpoint, based on his revelation, may be hard to distinguish. Uh, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, the jnani is my very self. 
Here again, this does not imply that the jnani and Bhagavan are absolutely one without distinction, but that the jnani is very dear to the Lord because he is established in awareness of him. Here the word Atma is used to indicate the oneness of love and not indiscriminate identity of being. Meaning the jnani has become the bhakti. Anucheta 89, Anucheta 89, Brahman is the attributeless magnificence of Bhagavan. It's the next Anucheta. But my time is up for this evening. Any questions? All right, thank you so much for your association.